Uh, it's good to be with you uh, tonight, sharing on this exciting passage. If you don't know me, my name's Tom. Uh, I'm one of the curates here. Uh, and yeah, it's good to be here. This is a great passage of scripture. Um, and we're, it's the third uh, in our series on prayer. Uh, the first week, uh, we looked at why we pray. And then last week, Sarah spoke to us about how to be still before God. And uh, that was a really powerful challenge for all of us, particularly me, I think. And I'm really excited about sharing with you today because I want to suggest that I think that our passage um, tonight contains eight words that have everything we need to be able to transform our prayer lives. I wonder whether a few weeks ago anyone was following the latest trend on social media of celebrities posting all of their profile pics in one kind of image. I think it was started by Dolly Parton, I, I read somewhere. Um, it's hard to explain, so I'll show you an example. That's Gordon Ramsay, celebrity chef. Well, less celebrity, more chef now. Um, so the idea is top left, he puts his LinkedIn picture. I don't know if you know much about LinkedIn. It's like a professional networking, social kind of network thing. So it's very kind of like professional shot. He's trying to, you know, show what a good chef he is. Um, so very professional shot. And then Facebook, you know what Facebook is? It's like, um, the, you know, you share stuff with your mates. So he's showing what a good daddy is by holding up his baby. Uh, and then bottom left, Instagram. Now that's the, you know, the really super edgy millennial Gen Z thing. Um, and you can see there, look how it's lit. It's all very cool. He's, he's definitely had a, a haircut like two minutes before that was taken. Um, it, he, he's just, yeah, he, he's clearly trying to look cool. It's about being on trend. And then finally, the, the, the Tinder shot. I don't know if you know much about Tinder, but it's a bit of a, um, a bit too much laughter there. It's a bit of a... <laughs> Was that confessional laughter? Uh, it's a bit of a, a nefarious uh, dating website. I don't know if Gordon Ramsay's on it, but that's the kind of image you'd choose. You know, he's just been working out at the gym. Uh, he's nice and tanned. He's walking along the beach. You can see his rippling muscles. Um, so that's what was going on in this kind of um, craze. And it, it got going to the extent that um, it went viral, so much so that even Buckingham Palace got involved, I see. So... Uh, the Queen looking all professional, probably signing a new bit of legislation or something in the top left for her LinkedIn profile pic. And then the same thing, the same theme with Facebook, you know, the family picture. I think they were, they were baking there, weren't they? It was released just before Christmas for, for people, the four kind of people in line for the throne. And then the Instagram one, she's clearly dusted off her best crown for that and, you know, got the lighting just right. Um, and then Tinder... <laughs> She's sipping a glass of Pinot Grigio or something like that. Um, needless to say, I'm pretty sure this one isn't official. Uh, I'm almost certain the Queen doesn't have a Tinder profile. Um, I'm not on Tinder, so I can't check. Um, but having kind of, you know, sent up other people, I think it's only fair that um, before we move on, I have a go at this myself. So here's my effort. I Ho hope you appreciate that. I don't know what you're laughing at. Um, no, you're right, I don't have a Tinder profile, but that is me at the bottom right. Um, maybe I need to grow out the beard a bit more to look a bit more like Chris Hemsworth, because that's the only thing that's stopping me looking like him. Um, and it's all good fun, isn't it? It's, it's fair to say that, I'm going to 
get rid of that, lest you all be distracted. Um, it's fair to say that the celebrities who kind of took part in this all did it in, good, in a kind of good spirit. They were sending themselves up. They were kind of making a joke at their own expense. But I do think that there's an interesting truth behind um, what this trend was showing. It's highlighting the different ways that we present ourselves. It shows the microscopic focus that we put upon ourselves and our place in the world. And this isn't just a modern thing. Um, human beings have been like that ever since the beginning. You only have to look at the story of Genesis, don't you? We, we looked at that in our recent Bible course. But social media, for whatever reason, just gives us a new kind of outlet to do it. A new, a new, it exposes the tendency in a new way. So how can a meme from 2020 uh, teach us something about what Paul is saying about prayer to the church in Ephesus in AD 65? Well, turn with me to Ephesians 3, and uh, we'll find out together. So I think it was page 1175, if I remembered that right, somewhere around there. Ephesians 3, beginning at verse 14. And uh, as with any passage of Scripture, it's really important that we kind of get to grips with where we're joining this, um, because we join it in kind of mid, pulls in mid-flow here. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to all the Christian believers in the city of Ephesus, and this is about 30 years after Jesus has died um, and risen again and then ascended to heaven. And Paul had been commissioned uh, to bring the good news of Jesus to all the, the Gentiles. Now, um, Gentile is a bit of an odd word. We don't really use it today, but it, it's basically an umbrella term to describe anybody who wasn't Jewish. Um, and because Paul was given this commission to go and preach the good news to the Gentiles, that's how he ended up in Ephesus, which is a city in modern-day Turkey, uh, and he, he planted a church there. And so that we can understand what Paul's talking about in this um, part of Scripture, there's a really important bit of history that, you need to, that we all need to understand. So go with me on this. Um, it, it's just a short bit of history, but it's really important. Historically, Jews were commanded not to have any association whatsoever with Gentiles in terms of their religious practice and their worship. If we go back to the Old Testament, we can see that God explicitly forbade his chosen people, the Jews, from worshipping with the Gentiles or having any religious associations with them. It was just a non-negotiable. It was too great a danger that the, the Jews would get corrupted and that their worship would be directed towards false gods rather than the one true God. And yet Paul, who had been the most strict kind of religious Jewish Pharisee going, he was the one who was sent by Jesus to begin new churches all over the world, made up of both Jews and Gentiles. So you see what's going on here. There's a massive change that has happened somewhere, Jews and Gentiles worshipping together. And for anyone who studied the Old Testament scriptures, this situation would have just been totally unthinkable. So for Paul to actually see this happen in, in a place like Ephesus was honestly, it was nothing short of a miracle that this was going on. And that's what Paul's talking about when we, we join this passage in verse 14. So back to the beginning of where we are. He begins, doesn't he, for this reason, for this reason. And what he's talking about there, he's rejoicing in, in the miraculous work of Jesus in making um, the gospel available for the whole world, for enabling Jews and Gentiles to be joined together in, in one church. So that's uh, the context. What's the consequence? For this reason... Dot, dot, dot. What? 
Well, let's read on. What does he say? For this reason, I kneel before the Father. And here, we need to pause. Because it's these eight words that the whole prayer hangs on. And if we can make sense of these eight words today, as I said at the beginning, this has the power to transform our prayer lives. Why? Well, I think it's true because, the, because they tell us, these eight words tell us two things that are fundamental to who God is and who we are and the relationship between us. First thing they tell us. Paul tells us that God is our Father. It's right there in verse 14, isn't it? I kneel before the Father. Now, maybe we take this for granted as 21st century Christians or as people who kind of have been in and around the church. We refer to God as our Father all the time. It's in worship songs. It's in our prayers. But let's take a step back from this uh, just for a minute because up until Jesus, no God-fearing Jew would ever have dared to address God as Father. God was the I am, the almighty, the provider, the creator. He was the consuming fire, the holy one of Israel. They weren't even allowed to use his sacred name, Yahweh, out of reverence for his holiness. So what did Jesus do? Jesus came along and taught his followers to pray, Our Father in heaven. That's the beginning of the the Lord's Prayer. We pray every week. Don't underestimate how huge that is that he did that. By telling his disciples to pray to their father, Jesus was basically inciting a revolution. It was more extreme than the story of when he turned over the tables in in the temple. He was inviting his followers to a new level of intimacy with God. But if we dig a little further, actually we find out it's even bigger than that. Because we know, don't we, that um, Jesus told the story of the prodigal son. Um, You've heard that story, right? That's the one where the the son runs off to a far-off land, spends his inheritance, and then comes back with his tail between his legs. But while the son is far off, the father sees him and runs to him with open arms. So God is not just our father, but he is an infinitely loving father. He's not some kind of scowling, disapproving presence. He comes running with open arms whenever we approach him, wherever we've been, whatever we've done. Because Jesus died and rose again to take away our sin, we can have confidence that when we come to the Father, um, he loves us and he welcomes us. All is forgiven. So first thing these eight words tell us, God is Father, our Father. Second thing they tell us, Paul's response to God's love is to fall to his knees, to kneel. As he comes to pray, before he does anything else, he gets on his knees. Now remember how we came into this passage. Paul is praising God for the miracle of creating the church. His starting point for prayer is remembering what God has done, and it's that that causes him to fall to his knees. And this is a posture of of complete reverence, isn't it, of of humility. You wouldn't generally kind of kneel in front of a friend. You would kneel before a king. 
And that's what Paul is doing here. He's acknowledging God's glory. My wife, uh, Megan, was very close to her grandma um, until she passed away a few years ago. And uh, her grandma was one of the, the most almighty prayer warriors I've ever known. And they used to speak on the phone a lot. And one day, um, they were talking about something significant that was going on within the family. And her grandma said to her, it sounds like something I need to get on my knees for. Now, Megan kind of laughed at this, thinking that her grandma was just sort of talking metaphorically. But the response came back firmly from her grandma. She said, no, darling, you are never too old to get on your knees before the Lord. She was 97 when she died. Do we do this when we pray? Are we secure enough to get down on our knees before the Father? I have to be honest and say, I don't think I do that. And yet we read in the Bible that the disciples did it, Paul did it, even Jesus did it. Where along the line have we lost this? Where did we become too busy to kneel before God? Where did we just kind of come with our shopping list of requests? Where did we become so consumed with ourselves and our, our own profiles, our own profile pictures, that we stop remembering that everything we have comes from God? When did we lose the fear of the Lord? We get so focused on our circumstances and our agenda that we just turn up and kind of, we sort of know what we need for the day and the week ahead, so we just, you know, we ask for it. And that's right in a way, because actually God wants to give us good things. We know that from Scripture. But the problem with that is if that's the only way we view God, he's nothing more than just a kind of heavenly vending machine. We put our money in and we get a chocolate bar out. We put our prayer in and we get an answer out. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father in heaven, what comes next? Hallowed be your name. Maybe we've lost that. Maybe we've lost the art of hallowing his name. God is our Father, and he does love us, and he does want to give us good things. But let's not forget that this, is, this God is Elohim who created the universe from nothing. This is Yahweh who rescued Israel from Egypt with a mighty hand and parted the Red Sea. This is El Shaddai who raised Jesus from the dead, who conquered sin and death, saved us from our sins. He loves us, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But would we never forget, he is in total authority over us. If we don't stop to hallow God before we do anything else, we just hallow ourselves. If we don't hallow his name like Paul did, we fall into the trap of thinking that we're somehow a big deal. Like those social media kind of pictures. It's about how we look. And that's why I think these eight words that Paul sets out have the power to change our prayer lives. They teach us that God is our Father who welcomes us with open arms. But they also teach us that God is a holy God worthy of all praise.
And maybe like me, you, you struggle with prayer. I struggle. I get bored. I lose focus. Um, I struggle to kind of remember what I should be doing sometimes. And maybe I struggle because I don't hold those two aspects of God together. I don't come with confidence because I don't stop to acknowledge the Father's love for me. But I don't come with reverence because I don't stop to acknowledge his holiness. Instead, I begin from my own place. I I bring my own shopping list. I bring my own profile picture. And I just end up either being weighed down by my own inadequacy or just consumed with what I need. Pete Gregg gives a really helpful illustration um, in the prayer course. I don't know if um, many of us are following that in our small groups, but it's brilliant, really helpful videos. He suggests switching from a microscope to a telescope because a microscope is, is aimed at magnifying the small things, making the small things big, looking at the details in life. But a telescope helps us to see the big things. It, it lifts our gaze to the heavens. It reminds us who our creator is. And it takes us out of those kind of really human concerns. When we see the big picture, we, we're reminded that we're just a tiny part. We're a valued part and loved part, but we're a tiny part. And our prayers will flow out of that knowledge of who God is and who he's made us to be. And that's where we, we land back in this passage in Ephesians. It's exactly because Paul knows who God is and what God has done that he can go on to pray this incredible prayer that he prays. It's because he starts by remembering the miracle of, of the church that his prayers are filled with confidence And because he falls to his knees, his prayers are filled with reverence, with selflessness, with a desire to see others raised up and glorified. Just have a look with me really briefly. Verse 16. He prays that the Ephesians would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit. He prays that Christ would dwell in their hearts. Verse 17. They would be rooted and established in love. Verse 18 the most famous part of Paul's prayer, that the Ephesians would grasp how wide, long, high and deep is the love of Christ. And finally in verse 19, that they would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Oh, that my prayers would be filled with that level of faith. That they would be that filled with confidence and reverence and expectation and selflessness. Maybe they would be if I came truly kneeling before the Father. And it's an easy thing to say, isn't it? Kneel before the Father, it's very easy to say. But what does it actually look like? How can we start doing it? Well, part of it, I think there is, there is a real value in the physical act of kneeling. But actually, we know that it, it goes beyond that. It's about a, a heart, um, a posture of the heart, a, a mindset. And I don't know if many people are reading this book, which Patrick flagged earlier. Um, it's the How to Pray book by Pete Gregg. Um, and he, in here, he, he, he lists a number of different ways that we can shift our mindset into being people who um, effectively kneel before the Father in our prayers. 
And there's loads of different ways. I'm just going to flag three tonight because we haven't got time to look at all of them. The first way, he talks about awaking my soul. Have you ever wondered why the people who wrote the Psalms often start with, um, praise the Lord, oh my soul. It's like they're, they're calling themselves to worship God. They're, they're challenging themselves to worship God, reminding them about what God has done for them. So he, he talks about awaking your soul and and you know, consciously challenging yourself to worship. Second one, using liturgy. Now, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not much of a liturgy kind of guy. It doesn't really float my boat. Um, but actually, that's a, a, it's a real reason for me to do it. Prayers written by other people actually help me to pray things that I would otherwise ignore and, and will help me to focus on aspects of who God is that I just don't think about. And there are all kinds of resources out there for us to use. There's the, the Church of England Daily Prayer, which is a free app that you can get. There's um, one that Patrick's mentioned before, Lectio 365, which is produced by 24-7 Prayer, and that's also free. Um, there's all kinds of different other things. There's Celtic Daily Prayer as well, which you can get online to use liturgy. And then finally, the third thing, find the song that only you can sing. Find things that bring your heart alive for God. It might be walking in the woods. It might be going for a run. Um, it might be good company or um, listening to your favorite music or something like that. The Psalms tell us five separate times, sing to the Lord a new song. There's something in our spirit uh, that brings us alive to worship God, and it's different for each of us. So Pete challenges us to find that one thing that can help us worship the wonderful thing about all of these ways of worshipping God is that they turn our hearts to him. They root our prayers in who he is and what he's done. And when we do that, we can't help but praise him. It just flows out of us. We can't help but give him glory for his faithfulness and goodness. Instead of being focused on a, a new job, or a new partner, or a mortgage, or, or a better marriage, or a house. Our prayers are going to be lifted to this kind of amazing level that we see in this passage where Paul's praying. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, these eight words really do have the, the, the power to transform our thinking about prayer. I want to challenge us tonight to be more like Paul. I dare us to be more like Megan's 97-year-old grandma, getting down on our knees before we do anything else to approach the Almighty. Getting down on our knees before our loving Father. So as we pray to him, let's not bring a shopping list Though we can ask for stuff, that's important too. Let's not focus on ourselves. Let's not be caricatures of our social media profiles. Let's get on our knees and give him all the glory that he deserves. Amen.